We are children of God. And as children of God, it is our privilege to hear our Father's voice. We get to hear God's voice when we come to Him in prayer. We listen to what God is saying to us. That's God's, often God speaks to us in prayer, His words for us as, in, as individuals. But in God's word, He speaks to us in the Bible. He speaks to us His word for us as a community. And so we come to God's word this morning uh, as we continue a sermon series on rest. We've been looking at rest for just about a month now. Are you feeling rested yet? Shouldn't take that long, should it? Uh, we're still, we're still, we have a lot to learn, though, especially those of us who have spent a lot of time in the West. We're busy. Uh, we spend a lot of time and energy focused on doing. And God invites us to be with Him. And so this morning, our focus is on finding rest in God, in connection with creation. And so without further ado, we're going to open up God's Word. Is the, our Father's Word to us and for us. And we're going to go right to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you know the story of the Bible at all, then you know the creation story, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the very last part of that story. The last part of Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, mankind. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And, all, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So God saw all that he had made. And it was good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then one more verse that uh, continues on past what we have on the screen. So God finished uh, the work of creation and on the seventh day he rested. So far the reading of God's word. One of the best-loved parables in the Bible that I alluded to in my prayer this morning is the parable of the prodigal son. And as I alluded to in the prayer, it might better be known as the parable of the loving father. But in this parable, an upstart younger son asks for his inheritance before he fully becomes a man. And worse, before his father is even dead. It's as if he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my money now. But his loving father still gives him his part of the inheritance. Perhaps it's no surprise that this foolish young boy goes and squanders all of his money on wild living and parties with friends. And very quickly after he runs out of money, he has to take a shameful job at the bottom of the social ladder feeding pigs, unclean animals in the first century. Still quite dirty today. Wishing that he could eat the slop that was given to the pigs, he sat there and remembered his father's goodness. He remembered that his father was a good man and decided to return home. 
That returning home is what we're going to focus on this morning. Because Jesus says, while he, while the younger son was still a long ways off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for his son. He ran to him, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The father welcomed his lost son home and even had a feast to celebrate his return. I wonder if you ever pause in your life and wonder what your future will look like, what your future home will look like, what your future life will look like. Whenever we hit a a milestone or some sort of landmark in our lives or in our development, I think that's a natural time to stop and pause and wonder about the future. A graduation makes us look forward. An anniversary makes us look back, but also forward. On that note, Andy and Cheryl Littell are celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary today. So congratulations to them. Yeah. This is my way of trying to squeak applause into my sermon. I know you're never going to cheer for me, but we should at least cheer for someone. That's good. Happy anniversary to Andy and Cheryl. Those, are, those special moments in your life are moments when, uh, when you either look, you, we do some looking back and also we wonder, what's coming? What does, what does life have for us? We can imagine our futures. We can do our best to remember our pasts. But all these efforts inevitably fall short of their reality, don't they? We can't really accurately remember the past. A parent or a friend or even a photograph might remember us uh, or remind us of the, of the past, the way that it was, that we haven't fully remembered. Likewise, we can anticipate our future. We can wonder and dream and plan. But our life never quite works out the way that we plan. Reality never matches our expectations or our hopes. We are creatures who are made to live in the present. So what does all of this have to do with creation? Well, in short, the Bible tells us that our past, our present, and our future are all about the earth. We may come and we may go from place to place or country to country, but the Bible paints a picture of God's creation, of the brokenness of the fall and of sin, of of Jesus' redemption, and of God's new creation, and all of it happens on earth. The Bible paints a picture of earth as our home, humanity's home in the past and humanity's home in the future. Part of being human and being whole is connecting to the rest of creation, connecting to the place where we belong, just like the prodigal son who, in order to be whole, needed to go home. Genesis tells us in all, in all kinds of detail about the work and time and energy that God did to create this world. The focus of Genesis is God creating the earth, the, the planet, but also and especially God creating man and woman, humanity, humankind. The rest of Scripture reminds us that God didn't just create this world, the, the earth, but created all things. The passage we read together this morning specifically addresses God's blessing to humanity after he created all things. We've sometimes termed that that chunk of that passage we just read, we've sometimes called it the cultural mandate or the creational mandate. And that word of uh, mandate is really, it's that these are words of instruction, aren't they? 
Be fruitful. That's an instruction. The idea, to those of us who have lived our whole life in the West, the idea that a blessing and a favor could come with instructions, well, that idea is a little bit foreign to us. But to the majority of the world, the rest of the world, the idea of giving a gift and, and having expectations along with the gift, that's very normal. That's expected. That actually giving a gift is the first step in building a relationship. In order for the relationship to grow, the gift should be returned. But there's a rub here. The gift isn't supposed to be returned in the way that you would return something to the store that you don't want. The receiver is supposed to give a gift in kind. Something that honors the first giver and deepens the relationship. In other words, it's not enough just to do the right thing, but or to go through the motions, you have to want to do the right thing, to want to deepen the relationship. This is why God gives a blessing to Adam and Eve, and with that blessing gives instructions. He is, his instructions even, his mandate, is a gift in and of itself to help his people understand how to move forward in deepening their relationship with him, with one another, and in the world. God is inviting Adam and Eve and all of their children and all of his children to deeper relationship with him. And this is how you do it, he says. There's a lot I could say about the importance of creation care and caring for our world. But I simply want to remind us this morning that God's instructions for creation come to us, to those of us gathered here specifically this morning. So as we were going to go through these three little things very quickly and shortly, be fruitful and increase, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule. But as we do that, I want you to remember that these are not instructions to Adam and Eve, although they are that, but they're more than that. They're instructions to one man and one woman, but they're for everyone who would call themselves God's people, God's children, God's family. What I mean by that is if this was just a message for Adam and Eve, it wouldn't have been written down. The Bible tells us that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's many things that God said to them that aren't written down. But these are for us. So let's go through those few words together this morning. First, be fruitful and increase. This first word, this first instruction from God is a word about embracing life. Being fruitful is what the whole natural world does naturally, normally. You know what living things do. They grow. They can't help it. It's just a part of their natural created order. Little animals grow into bigger ones. Little shoots become plants. Buds become flowers and then they become peaches. And then we get really excited. Creation is connected to God in such a way that when God says be fruitful and increase in number, creation just does it as a reaction. But as people, we have a mind. We have, we have ideas and thoughts of our own. We have a choice. We can choose not to grow. We can remain as we are. We can choose to close our minds to new information, to close our hearts to new love of others to more learning. 
This is not God's way for us, and it's not the way that leads to rest. God's word to be fruitful or bear fruit and increase is a word that can also mean to produce crops. In the world of the first, the, the first people who heard this lived in an agrarian world. It's a, world it's, a, it's a word of cultivate. Now, many of us today, most of us today are not farmers. We're not going to go home and, uh, and get into, well, some of us may go home and get into our gardens, but our livelihood likely doesn't depend on it. But still I wonder, what does that word cultivate mean to you? And how do you cultivate the world around you? Do you consider what it means to cultivate the world around you or do you simply just use the world for your own pleasure and your own purposes? Maybe you could reflect on that as, when it comes to something as simple as just taking garbage with you when you go on a hike rather than leaving it behind for an animal to choke on or somebody else to pick up. You could also reflect on the, the cultivating in a more complex way Considering in whenever the next election comes around, how will your vote affect your neighbors? How will your vote affect the next generation to come? Do you live only for yourself? Or are you affecting or cultivating the world around you? Be fruitful and increase in number. That picture of cultivating and of caring not just for self, but of others, is a picture that we see most fully and perfectly in Jesus. Jesus did not uh, just cultivate his own life and own relationship. In fact, the New Testament tells us that Jesus had equality with God and didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But he emptied himself, becoming a servant, someone who works to cultivate the good for others. What does it mean for you to be fruitful and increase, to cultivate the world around you? The second instruction in Genesis is to fill the earth and subdue it. A few of us in our congregation are potters. We like to make things with our hands. And so some of us could make a pitcher and fill it with water. I mean like P-I-T-C-H, not a photo. You can make a pitcher and fill it with water. The rest of us have to buy it, a pitcher, right? But God, in the same way that you make a pitcher or you make a bowl in order to fill it with water or food, God made the earth in order to fill it with his creation, including humanity. God shares his honor with us by inviting us to participate in that act of creation. Now, we don't make things from nothing the way that God does, but we can put things in their place. Kaylee and I went on a hike a few weeks back to, with friends to Grotto Canyon. It's a simple hike, just uh, halfway to Banff, and many, many people could do it. And there's, just past the waterfall, there's this little sculpture garden. Maybe this picture is familiar to some of you who have done that hike as well. Now, of course, we didn't make any of those rocks. But as our friends visited from different uh, parts of the country, different parts of the U.S. and Canada, all of us took a rock and piled it together and we made one little inukshuk, one little statue to add to the rock garden. 
We join God and we join others in the beautiful act of creation. Creating something new. Filling the earth. This is also about rest and enjoyment. This word subdue that God uses is not about forcing oneself on another or forcing oneself on creation. That's a word really about bringing the wilds under control, bringing order. Earlier in Genesis, uh, the part we didn't read, Genesis 1 verse 2 tells us that the earth was formless and void. That description continues to be used throughout the Old Testament and throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. Those words, formless and void, are used in ancient times to talk about the desert and to talk about the sea, the Mediterranean Sea and the sea beyond. Why? Because the desert and the sea are places of formlessness and void. They're places of chaos that are wild and untamed. But the Jews built canals in the desert and flooded it with water to plant their crops. The Dutch built dikes in the ocean and they took back land from the wilds of the sea. These acts of creation create rest and flourishing for people and for animals alike. They bring control to our wild world. So what about you personally? When you go into the world, do you think about taming the wilds and bringing order? Each of us face a kind of wilderness, a kind of wildness, a kind of chaos in our own lives. Relationships that are out of our control. Tasks that are just overwhelming for us. Challenges that, that we just can't even get our, get our arms fully around them. Part of the creative work that God invites you to do as an individual and us to do as God's people is to join Him in bringing order to our wild world. When we do art like pottery, we take a lump of formless clay and we make it into a beautiful pot like these, uh, this, where, this, these jars that we're going to use for communion. So we're made by someone and now we get to use them for a beautiful and special purpose. For you, every, for each one of us, every day, until the day we die, God gives us 24 whole hours. And when you get up in the morning, or maybe when you get up in the afternoon, if you're a teenager and you're making the most of the summer, you've got a certain number of hours left in the day. And they're formless and void. Anything could happen. So what are you going to do with the time that God gives us, gives you? The formless time that you have. How will you fill that time that God has given you? What will you create with it? You can create uh, fights and animosity with your siblings or friends or coworkers. You can create a world where everything serves you and is for you. Or you can create something beautiful and ordered that rescues and helps others with the chaos of their lives. Again, we can follow the example of Jesus who came into the chaos of the first century, the chaos of our world. And what he did was create room 
Create space for those of us who are far from God to come near to God. Create space for those of us uh, who, had this, who had a picture of limited good to find unlimited good when we come near to God. Isn't that the world that we live in? There's only so much money to go around. There's so mu- only so much honor and respect to go around. There's only a few people who can be at the top. But Jesus created room so that in the family of God, not just the special or the talented or the rich, but all of us can draw near and be of equal value and worth in God's family. Jesus came into the chaos of our world and filled it, subdued it, made room for those of us, for for all of us to draw near to God. That's what John 3.16 says, that God so loved the world, whosoever believed in him, anyone and everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God filled and subdued the earth, creating room for us. God's last instruction here in Genesis is to rule. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, over everything that moves along the ground. That's everything, right? And he mentions the, the plants and the trees as well. This is where those of us who are, uh, who are alphas get really excited, right? This is what we've been waiting for. Rule. We get to be in charge. This is good. Everybody listen up. But of course, that's not quite the tone of God's words here. And maybe that's not a surprise to you by now. Remember how I said earlier that God invites us to join him in the work of creation. Whenever we see God's words and his commands, his instructions in Scripture, we can always look to God's action before and after his words and to his character to determine how best to follow God's word. In other words, when God gives us an instruction, God also gives us his example to follow. And so when we wonder about ruling, the instruction to rule, we can look at Scripture and we can look at our world and we can wonder and we can see how God rules. We can see that God rules with patience and with care. That God does what is best for others, not just what is best for himself. We can always look to God's example and to the example of other faithful Christians, other people of God as examples to follow. But more than that, in this passage, there's the word rule is an uncommon one. And because I'm a little bit of a nerd, I always like to follow some of these rabbit trails. In other contexts, in other passages of Scripture, this word rule gets translated as tread or walk or even stomp, which to those of us, or all of us speak English, but that's not a, an association that we normally make in English. But this word, rule, which is also tread and walk and stomp, is not a military word. It's a word that comes from the world of agriculture. I'll give you a hint on the screen behind, right? But what do you tread and walk and stomp? Grapes. It's a picture of making wine. When Jesus says, rule over all of these animals, over all of this creation. In other words, As we already said, tame the wilds, make them useful, actually bring about more flourishing. This word rule is about taking charge for cultivation, about being responsible uh, overseers for a garden, 
which is exactly what Adam and Eve were supposed to do, isn't it? Again, not all of us are in charge of a garden, although a few of us are. What about being responsible overseers in the area or the place where God has put you? Think of it another way. If you smash a zucchini on the ground, it's good for nothing, right? If you stamp and stomp it into the ground, it's good for nothing. I would argue, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would argue that even if you just harvest a zucchini, it's good for nothing. That just, I don't know, who wants a raw zucchini? I, you could eat a carrot, you could eat a tomato even, but I'm not sure you would just eat a zucchini. But, some of you know where this is going already, right? If you take the zucchini and you peel it and you shred it and you add some spices and some sugar and some flour, then you have a delicious and a beautiful thing. Then you can share it, you could eat it, you could give it as a gift. Even more than that, if you have enough zucchinis, you could start a business. You could do very well. I will be a customer. In English, we would say at a certain point, you become a master baker, right? And what does a master do? They rule. God uses his abilities and power to rule over the whole universe, over everything that is and was and will be. And God invites us to use our abilities and power to rule in that same way that he rules. Not for our own selfish benefit, but in order to cultivate the beauty and joy and to encourage more creation. I'll put it one more way. God did not create kimchi. God created cabbage. Kimchi is a lot better than cabbage. God did not create wine. God created grapes. And wine's a lot better than grapes. The things that we make with God's creation are a good part of our ruling and our cultivating work. When we do them, we can enjoy rest of all kinds, connection with creation as we understand it more fully. We can enjoy peace and flourishing with others as we find a purpose and place for ourselves. And we can enjoy Sabbath rest as well. We take a break from our regular work to connect with God or just to, to step back. And so as we close, I just want to say one more thing this morning. That so much in our modern world pressures us to be experts, to be specialists. At work, if you have a career or a job, we all have a particular role, don't we? You don't just show up to your job and do whatever you want to do. You show up and do what you've been assigned to do. It's the same thing in the classroom. There's specific information that you are supposed to learn, though not for a few more weeks. In sports, you're not just on the team. You have a position that you're supposed to fill and a role you're supposed to play. Everything in our modern world pressures us to be experts and specialists. Connection with creation on the other hand, invites us to be generalists, to simply play with and play within God's good world. When we connect with creation, when we get to ask creative questions of ourselves and to play and explore in our world, then the pressure is off. 
And so this morning, I encourage you, as we close in prayer, to just lay aside the pressure that you may feel. To set aside the pressure or the expectations that you have for others. And to wonder with me for a few moments what it might be like just to play with God in his beautiful, wide world. Let's come to him in prayer. Father God, we thank you that in the creation story, that you did not just give these, the blessing of your creation and the instructions for your creation, that you didn't just give that to Adam and Eve, but that you gave that to all of humanity, especially to your family, to your children, to those you love. Father, teach us to be fruitful and increase, to cultivate a love and a care for the world that matches your love and care. Instruct us in how to fill and subdue our world, Lord, to tame the wilds, to bring order to the chaos that surrounds us. And Lord, we know we can do it only by your Holy Spirit's power, not in our own strength. And Jesus, we look to your example as we wonder what it is to creatively use our power and our talents for flourishing, to help others flourish, to help those we love flourish, and to help your world, your creation flourish. Father, teach us what it is that you have for us as River Park Church, as your congregation here in Calgary, and also as individuals and as families within it and beyond it. And always, Lord, we ask that you would draw us together, not by our own strength, our own intelligence, or our own abilities, but draw us together by the love of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.